So I think that there are some best practices that, that can be used. One is to provide documentation on the programming and training methodologies and the processes and the techniques used to build and test and validate these systems. Uh, and then including uh, where have relevant methods been applied to avoid bias. And this is really important because, like I mentioned, a lot of standardization activity is coming in this space. In addition to standardization activity that we already have in automotive in terms of ISO 26262 and functional safety and things like that. And that means in the future, these systems will be tested and validated for compliance against criteria like this. So it's a really, really important thing to, to really try to do as best we can. Obviously, there's unconscious bias. We don't know everything right away. But to use the best practices we have right from the get-go because of the trends that we're seeing. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Atonicast. Uh, I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors and the Communication Director at the Partnership for Automated Vehicle Education. Uh, I'm joined by uh, my co-host, Kirsten Korosek uh, of TechCrunch. And uh, Kirsten, this is, uh, as I mentioned, a, a very special episode um, that uh, you were really instrumental in, in sort of making happen. Um, and uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about, about what, what folks are going to hear today? Well, as we all know, um, COVID-19 has, has sort of upended the, the events and conference circuit this year. And um, that, that has led to an opportunity for us to essentially bring a panel that was supposed to be at NVIDIA's GTC conference um, back in March, I believe, and, and bring it here. And we're doing this in partnership with Women in Autonomy, um, which is a really interesting group that has come out of AI, which one of our guests is going to speak to us more about. Um, but basically what we're going to do here is we're actually going to hand over the reins to a moderator and we're going to jump in later to um, ask some questions. Um, but for now, we're going to have a moderator. Her name is uh, Genevieve Smith. And She's the associate director at the Center for Equity, Gender, and Leadership at the Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley, and she's going to be interviewing three guests, and um, who I'm about to introduce. And uh, we're going to have a discussion, really, about eliminating hidden bias in autonomy and beyond. So I'm very excited because um, it's an area that I'm interested in, but my understanding of the nuances of hidden bias are um, I'm admittedly ignorant about. So to me, this is a really big learning opportunity. Um, and plus, these are some um, amazing and um, women who are in the field who are going to be able to lend their expertise and and educate the rest of our our listenership. So, Ed, did you want to add anything before we introduce our guests? No, I mean, I think you you summed it up well. I'm I. I have a lot to learn about this subject, and um, I'm really excited to uh, learn from these extremely well-qualified women. And so let's just go ahead and, and turn it over to them. As you mentioned, our moderator is Genevieve Smith. Um, let's go ahead and, and introduce the rest of, of our, our panel. Great. So first up, we have Nandita Mangal, the platform function owner, um, HMI of Autonomous Driving at Aptiv, and we're all familiar with Aptiv here. Um, and then we have... Uh, Neta Savajic, the head of product management and product marketing of Drive AV at NVIDIA. And finally, we have Indu uh, Vijayan, head of product management at AI and the founder of Women in Autonomy. And before we hand over um, the, this panel to Genevieve, I wanted to just ask Indu a little bit about women in autonomy and how this group got started and what its what its charter and what its purpose is. Indu, thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Kirsten. Uh, I'm very happy to be part of this panel here. And uh, sure, Women in Autonomy was born out of women at AI because uh, we have been discussing about the real lack of gender diversity in the industry. And the best way we can address this is to be part of a solution and that's how Women Autonomy was born. And uh, it's a three-pronged approach that we are trying to do, that is to educate our community on the main issues that we currently have and equip women 
in their skills so they can be um, elevated in their careers and enable mentorship programs between the uh, leaders of this uh, in the industry and enable younger women to come up and thereby empowering them through workshops through different connections through the leaders so this the, thereby we have more women leading us in this autonomous driving industry and as you will see the, there are biases which i mean having more diverse uh, diverse uh, women uh, and diverse community coming together would make it a better place and how many of these get togethers have you had now i think we have close to about uh, six and then uh, small mini workshops at this point of time okay and um so obviously right now with the um pandemic sort of changing how um you can uh, any of us can hold events um what is women in autonomy doing right now are you working on other outreach or other programs um that can be done you know through zoom or video conferencing or anything like that or are you just going to wait until um this all calms down and then start these events again? so women in autonomy actually has gone about and said the covid-19 is going not going to stop us in um uh meeting our community talk uh, discussing all the issues that we need to so we have had two of our uh uh zoom uh happy hours as of now where we discuss various topics related to how they have changed uh the lifestyle how the work has changed and also how they're trying to uh uh how how they try, trying to grapple with new new reality and making sure that we are all uh on top of what we need to do and helping others as we go and uh, similarly similar to this uh this event with autonocast and we are so thankful to have uh, to be part of this very working in collaboration with you and having this uh, um wonderful opportunity to bring out the same panel which was envisioned for gtc here with you through autonocast great Well on that note I think that we should um welcome Netta and Nandita as well as Genevieve to the conversation and then um Genevieve uh before you uh launch this panel can you just uh give me give us uh the listenership just a little bit more background about where your interests lie in terms of seeking out this hidden biases and um some of your research Absolutely So, hi, this is Genevieve and so at the Center for Equity, Gender and Leadership at Haas, we are dedicated to educating equity fluent leaders to ignite and accelerate change. Equity fluent leaders are those who understand the value of different lived experiences and courageously use their power to address barriers, increase access and drive change for positive impact. So, we have various events and programming on campus and at the business school around equity and inclusion um but also an important aspect of our work is advancing equity and inclusion and this concept of equity fluency among business leaders in the industry um and we really see the importance uh, and understand the importance of equity and inclusion considerations not just in the workplace but in the products and services a company develops um, how those are marketed distributed etc um so we advance equity fluency of business leaders in industry primarily through what we call equity fluent leadership playbooks and these are tools that translate academic research on critical diversity equity and inclusion topics to practitioner oriented tools and for a while now uh, we have been exploring this topic of bias in ai and we really see this as critical from just from the business school perspective from the business perspective um there is a survey recently from PwC that finds that 85% of CEOs believe that AI will significantly change the way they do business in the next 5 years and it will contribute 15.7 trillion to the global economy by 2030 we're seeing with the current situation as well um you know of course massive disruption is with covid-19 to continue to deeply and severely impact people communities economies and governments it's also impacting digital transformation as well and so we're only seeing acceleration of trends like ai 
So for us, we've been exploring how bias in AI manifests and, uh, and explicitly how bias can enter different stages within a data set and also how it enters different stages within an algorithm and are building a playbook around what business leaders in particular need to know around bias and AI and what actions business leaders in particular can take. So we are launching this playbook um, this summer, and which will be an open source resource on the Berkeley Hawes EGAL website. And you mentioned, um, you know, because this is coming, um, because of your position over at the Haas School of Business, um, I imagine that perhaps as part of this report that is going to be released, maybe you're working or have been in contact with some of the tech companies that are creating these um, AI algorithms. Um, have you worked with them at all? Um, and, uh, and if you have, what has the reception been? Yeah, absolutely. So we have been communicating, working with both tech companies as well as with uh, academics. So, you know, doing, and we're really trying to translate, take the knowledge that's out, you know, that sometimes can be stuck in these ivory towers, this incredible wealth of knowledge um, that comes out of academia and really trying to make it translatable to business audiences. So part of it is understanding from different tech companies, um, you know, where are the gaps, et cetera. Uh, we also, as part of our playbook that we're developing, we're developing these different plays for business leaders. And each of those different plays we uh, will be prototyping with different tech companies. And also um, we have case studies from tech companies as well around those that are really leading the charge related to that particular action and play. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm going to shut up now because I really want to listen to what your questions are going to be. And uh, Genevieve, thank you. And welcome to um, Netta, Indu, and Nadita. And we'll, we'll hand it over to you. Great. Thanks so much. Yes, I'm thrilled to be here today with this incredible group of talented women on the front lines of developing systems for automated and autonomous vehicles. So to get started, um, Indu, Nandita, and Netta, I would love to just hear from you what interested you in the space of bias in artificial intelligence and automation. Maybe Nandita could, could start. Um, sure. I'm glad to be here. So I think the best way to describe it is the interest in bias was more of a journey for me. Um, I initially started with a passion for designing uh, systems, especially complex systems with a human-centered design. And um, with that in mind, I landed, uh, landed in the space of military and defense as my first out-of-school job. Um, wasn't expecting, but that's how it happened. And I uh, found myself to be working on operator situational awareness, how we can make these very complex systems in the field to be more aware of what's going on and how we can actually help the operator. So we basically human-centered at its core. And um, there in, within that space, I realized I was kind of the odd one out. I was a, you know, a small uh, frame woman in a military base and everyone turned their heads and looked at me like I was an alien at times. Um, but kind of that kind of urged me to rethink um, human-centered design to be not just human as a generalized concept, but also be more inclusive of what it means as a woman in engineering, in design, um, how we are impacting uh, the design of emerging and complex systems. So um, with that in mind, I kind of digressed and uh, included bias as something that also is a topic of interest to me. Great. Thanks so much for that background. It's, it's really interesting to hear about your trajectory and um, that the concept of human-centered design, you know, that's so critical. Yeah. Neda, would you like to share? Yeah, definitely. Um, so for me, it was actually reinforcement learning and deep reinforcement learning areas of AI uh, that got me interested because these work by basically teaching an agent to do something in a virtual or simulated environment. For example, teaching a robot to play hockey. Um, 
And, and that's done by giving credits or rewards to the agent when they do something. So what can actually happen is that the agent can learn unintended ways of maximizing the rewards they get without ever achieving the goal or target uh, for the training. And the consequences of that can range from really silly things in video games to kind of scary and unethical things. And so that really got me interested in this subject. Thanks. Indu? Yeah, so for me, this is mainly based on my career has been majorly on autonomous driving. And while at Aptive earlier, um, been working on autonomous driving and where the car, it's, it's if you were to compare a, how a human eye sees versus what a car sees, I saw immense um, lack of data, rich data that the car requires, uh, a car gets, which is required to like identify a potential threat or not identify it's not a threat. And this got me thinking and about how AI systems would work if there was no enough data to um, make it better. So that's how I started uh, the, my career and how I worked a joint AI because I saw a um, sensor that really looks like an, uh, things like an eye and how a rich data set that is having a better data of the scene wherein you can really differentiate from a plastic uh, bag from a stone Exit all of these kind of information is so important, and how this uh, data set would influence the algorithms is very important. And how we should be thinking about this has made made me like really aware that this um, we need to be discussing about this and um, working together in identifying uh, areas where AI would fail if it doesn't get the proper input and uh, as as we need. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think those are such important considerations, especially as, you know, we do as humans tend to have biases to trust the technical systems that we have. So really being critical around understanding how bias might be able to manifest. And as you mentioned, the data set influencing the algorithm, you know, these are really important considerations to keep in mind. It's great to hear the background of um, the three of you and what kind of brought you to this topic. I'm curious, what are some trends that you're seeing related to awareness of bias in AI and automation? And is this topic of importance to your organization? And if you can share a little bit about about that, maybe Indu, you could start with that one. It is really important uh, as an at our organization as well as for product uh, as we as we are supplying to different parts of the world and each one of these areas. You know, the cars are different, the people are different, and uh, regulations are different. And you need to be uh, making sure that there are no biases in the system. Otherwise, you will have a product that doesn't work. So it um, doesn't work for that market, right? So we need to be we are very extremely conscious about this and trying to ensure that we release products that are uh, well-tuned and for specific different uh, uh, areas. And it was really important for us. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Meta, what about you? Yeah, so I think that in terms of trends, what we're seeing a lot are, are trends in standardization activity regarding AI. So, for example, the European Commission will publish a new regulatory framework for AI by the end of this year, and it will set, set really strict functional requirements for, for applications um, and will actually require products to be assessed, AI products to be assessed before being placed in the market. Um, and so that means that if a manufacturer that develops a system that could lead to bias, it would actually not be permitted in the EU, for example. And, and we're seeing a lot of different standardization bodies, uh, the IEEE, ISO also uh, doing a lot of um, standardization activity around ethics and bias of AI. Um, and then as far as importance to NVIDIA, it's super important to NVIDIA. <laughs> NVIDIA is an AI company, an AI compute company. And so we are super committed to maintaining unbiased and ethical practices in AI and, and, and holding our global teams to these really high standards of accountability and transparency and explainability and pretty much everything AI related. Um, and so what we do to encourage um, this, we've added language on the pages of our SDKs, our software development kits, that encourages people to consider the potentials for algorithmic bias in the models they choose to use. Um, we also host several conversations about ethical AI at our GTC conferences, most recently GTC Digital, as um, was mentioned earlier. And um, and we also 
basically participate in a lot of these standardization activities that I mentioned. Wonderful. Thanks so much. So Nandita, feel free to share some trends as well. And I'm, I'm curious as well, um, you know, beyond the trends that you might be seeing, how do you see data gaps? If you could just share a little bit around how data gaps contribute to bias, particularly in the automotive industry, and if you have an example to share. Sure. Um, as far as uh, going back to trends, I think from a human-centered design perspective, also designers are also kind of getting in the mix and providing feedback on how does human-centered AI look like um, and what can we do in terms of data sets design or gathering data, for example, focusing on narrower models uh, representing a biased uh, data set, calling that out um, to be more representative of the types of outliers that exist. There's also initiatives, for example, by DARPA, which uh, go into explainable artificial intelligence to highlight transparency uh, with a different model so that human experts can also understand how a artificial intelligence model actually is constructed. Um, so as far as trends, that's something that I'm seeing um, from my lens here. One quick um, question. So that, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. One quick question to follow up on that. Can you explain a little bit around what does human-centered AI look like? Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting uh, paradigm because de designers are very focused on um, understanding problems from the end user's perspective, right? Like that's what we base ourselves on. And when we talk about human-centered AI, we're trying to understand, well, again, who is the end user that this particular AI system is going to be used for? Um, and are we representing that user set well enough? Um, and if, and what are the, more importantly, what are the processes that can be done to highlight the needs of users? So there's, of course, the trend of uh, model development and all this research um, in machine learning, but there's also certain processes that um, designers in this space can adopt to, say, make better data sets, to contribute to the weights of the data sets more. Uh, based on their own, for example, qualitative research of what they found in the field of what type of demographics and users there are of a particular system, how should a data set be uh, weighted, for example. It's, these are inputs that designers can bring in um, to the equation as they work hand-in-hand -hand with the engineering teams and the research scientists in a machine learning team. So I think um, very much a part of it's a, it's a team effort, but when we say human-centered AI, that's what we mean, that we are actively going out to make sure there's no unconscious bias um, in the model that uh, we are not looking at correctly. Absolutely. No, it's so important, and you know, I'm glad you're, you brought it up. And I, we'll, we'll touch on this a bit more, too, later in the podcast as well, and I want to circle back with you on that. But um. I'm curious if you can share, you know, how do data gaps contribute to bias in the in the automotive industry? And if there is an example that you might be able to share. Right. Um, so I work in the domain of automation and automotive industry. So um, everything that I view gets into the view of, uh, you know, how do we make this system um, a safe system, a system which is aware of the human cognition, cognitive needs the human errors that are part of um, how humans behave and how our cognition works. So from that mindset, I approach, uh, you know, designing these human machine systems with uh, the understanding that we are not trying to eliminate the human whenever we speak of automation. So we're trying to, um, as automation is increasing, we're trying to increase our um, understanding of the human and the data gaps that you can see here, right here, is when we are saying, okay, we want to in increase our understanding of this driver or passenger inside the cabin, there are stereotypes that will come in, like no question about it, right? Our, our minds are, are made up to, to get the, get the shortcut, shortcut the fastest way. So there are going to be biases that we have internally 
of what is a good driver, um, what is who's a risk taker in a in a driving, or who's prone to more crash uh, crashes, or who can be uh, you know prevented from having a crash, or who can be distracted. These are all stereotypes that are inherently part of us, and as far as automation auto, in the automotive industry is concerned, um, an example would be, well, how are we profiling these drivers? You know, um, how are we monitoring these drivers inside the cabin? And currently, as an example, you have a lot of research going on in, in this space of how do you model this driver? Because we want to develop these systems which are safe. So if we are seeing they're distracted or if a crash is coming up, we, the automation wants to do whatever it can to um, device the, the, right, the right path forward. Um, it could be uh, helping them, coaching them. It could be warning them um, if they need to intervene in automation for some reason. But uh, at the crux of it, the monitoring or profiling of the driver, um, you see like uh, areas where you see, of course, the basic characteristics like, oh, where's, where are the drivers looking at? Off-road glances. Uh, what are their, you know, inside the cabin, they look at their phone, they look at the cluster, where are their heads located at? You see all of these characteristics in the a majority of the research today when you create this profile of a driver um, to understand if they're going to be distracted or there's a high crash uh, tendency. But, and then you see like some characteristics like age. And again, there is just age. Like, uh, again, like an example of a tangent of a stereotype here. If you're, you're an elderly driver, you might be considered higher risk. You might be considered needing more warnings. But, you know, the data gap here would be that what about gender, right? What about the fact that women might have different physiology as drivers? Women might react differently to warnings. Um, what are the complex social uh, stereotypes that are not getting um, corrected in a data set? Um, I really see uh, gender and age are almost like an afterthought when we talk about these characteristics in profiling of drivers. And why is that important is because if you forget to include these um, uh, age or elderly or, or gender-based data sets, you have cases such as, um, you know, where we forget to include, um, uh, like, for example, the crash dummies were only recently in 2011 um, incorporated to be female. Till now, we were using male crash dummies uh, for crash tests, which is appalling um, because they did not consider females' physiology in a crash. Um, but taking that extreme example to driver profiling, if you forget to include how women drivers behave, how are we supposed to design safe systems which are make, making sure that they're taking into account their women's safety as well while they're driving? Um, so this is an example of how easy it is to ignore um, the key, uh, you know, narrow data sets. Uh, that they include the basics, but forget to include the, the diversity angle, um, which I see as a pattern that's upcoming in a lot of research today. Yeah, that's such an such an interesting. So many examples that you provided there are so interesting. It makes my mind just spin. You know, it's what we're what we see a lot as well is that men are men have been historically seen as you know kind of the typical, the normal and. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even in other industries as well, I think healthcare is a really good example of this. It's like men are seen as kind of the norm and the typical and women are more of the kind of atypical, you know, even like heart attacks for women are seen as atypical, yeah. you know, which is how can that yeah. be atypical, right? Right. Um, thought, right. <laughs> exactly. And I find that the statistics around um, women being more likely to be seriously injured from car crashes because of how dummies have been historically managed, the same, the same kind of concept, you know, it's so, it's so interesting. Um, that's such a good example. 
Um, and I, I'm curious in terms of, you know, when we when we think about AI systems in the automotive industry, how do you how have you seen these data gaps extend to and impact AI systems in particular? Yeah. Um, so you know, when we talk about AI systems, at the end of the day, they are still these systems that are basically data sets. You know, their weights, labels, and we're interacting with these systems to give feedback. And there's, of course, like, you know, the size of the data set and it all impacts the machine learning. But I mean, I would like to say that it's not evil to be biased. <laughs> um, you know, we could take that stance, but it's totally it's biases inherent in us. Right. So if you take that understanding um, and we basically have to. Uh, constantly, I feel judge the outputs of AI systems when, as a team who's designing the system. Like uh, just because it came out from a machine doesn't mean it's of higher value or you know of higher significance. We should always judge the outputs of AI systems um, as seeing if because we know we have our own cognitive biases which are making us not fully logical and rational. At times, where we have these mental shortcuts in our minds, so we should be aware of that in our outputs of the AI systems too. Uh, when we look at well, what is the uh, AI system's decision coming out to be? Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think that's it's such a good reminder too is that as humans, we have biases. It just is what it is, and not all biases, you know, from from the uh, from that perspective are bad. Um, but yeah, how can we be aware of our biases and perhaps how harmful biases are in different things that we're developing? You know, AI is kind of a manifestation of, uh, AI technology is created from humans and uses data that exists in, you know, our, our world today. And so mm-hmm. understanding how biases can creep in, but yeah, acknowledging that biases are just inherent. I think that's such a good call out. So I, I would like to turn to Netta and, you know, I'm curious, do you have any thoughts around how, um, any other thoughts around how data gaps impact AI systems in the automotive industry and, and why does who develops and manages these AI systems matter? Right. Well, I think we've seen so many studies recently that show that diverse teams build the best products. And I think ultimately that's why the who matters so much. Uh, these AI systems, if we unpack them, uh, they're really a collection of data collection tools, data curation tools, data labeling tools, um, AI models, AI model training frameworks, validation frameworks. Ultimately, these are all a form of a product meant to be used by AI practitioners in the field who are people. Um, and so, for example, if a data labeling tool or UI uh, or a data labeling guideline document that tells you how to actually extract rich semantic information from the data. Um, If these are created by a developer team that may not have sufficient awareness about um, their user from a cultural perspective, from a socioeconomic perspective, then that's going to translate into the the product itself, the system itself, uh, not being good is the truth. So for example, if we're making a data labeling guideline for a complex intersection and we're sending it to folks around the world who've never seen something like that in real life, and that information is simply not accessible to them and not actionable to them and not clear because we haven't thought about their context, um, then that's going to translate into the AI system itself. So I think that this is why with us also, our developer teams really actively seek diversity when building these AI systems and products. Absolutely. Yeah. And those are such, such good examples and makes a lot of sense. Indu, I was curious, you know, there was a a research study on self-driving vehicles that was conducted in 2019 from the Georgia Institute of Technology that found the detection of dark-skinned people was five percentage points less accurate than light-skinned people. And I was curious if you could share a little bit around, I, I know that we have talked about this study in the past, and I was curious if you could share around you know, how, how this might happen and how this type of bias and the outcomes of an AI system for autonomous vehicles might manifest. Absolutely. And this is something um, specific. This is something really that we need to be concerned about in terms of what data sets do we use and how do we come to conclusions or the metrics that um, 
that define an algorithm, whether it's good or bad, and how, how, how is the system going to work? And uh, for example, the example that you shared about the Georgia Institute technologies of work related to this, the, it has been found that many of the data sets has been very localized, as in it is based on a small data set in, um, as well, and it was not really uh, the data meant for full self-driving product that will be used for worldwide uh, use. So that's one of the cases where uh, we have to make sure the data set we use um, is not uh, uh, like in a specific from a specific area. It should include all the classes of uh, of all the classes of objects that you want to see, you want to know, and um, understand the world in that way. And this is also stemming from the fact that the requirements or the regulations that surround um, qualifying these algorithms are not defined well yet. And, um, and I think uh, Nanita pointed out about the dummy and similarly, like how Euro NCAP and the NHTSA has provided safety regulations and how they qualify a car to be uh, a safety five standard, etc. These are not taking into consideration the skin color or any other, like, uh, uh, any other aspects of it. It's mainly on the physical dimensions. And these are the um, gaps and uh, areas where the data sets are not uh, considered for actually uh, figuring out whether the algorithm is actually passing the metrics or not. So if the metric itself is not um, well-defined, you'll, you'll have AI systems that is not really um, developed for the different um, wide uh, diverse world that we live in. So it's important to understand that and to have the have to diversify the data set that we use for developing any of our AI systems. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense and it kind of goes back a bit to what Neto was saying too around the importance of who develops these AI systems. Exactly. You know, they can't be you know incorporating different perspectives from areas where they're deployed. And again, and with data sets, like and making sure that that data set is localized. You know, it makes a lot of sense. And um, and I'm I'm curious, what do you think is needed to identify and tackle biases in data sets and algorithms? And I absolutely agree with Neda there about having to diversify who makes these AI systems, diversify the data, have more research, to be honest, have research uh, be available to identify contexts where AI is biased. And it's important to know where AI works well and where it doesn't work. And more importantly, to establish processes to validate these uh, uh, these um, AI systems in real-world scenarios, uh, rather than having it to be more in a specific zone, have it be tested in real-world scenarios and and deployed only after that these have been validated and verified to work well in these, um, like how it would work in a San Francisco, Chinatown, or even in uh, Santa Clara, or whether in India or China, wherever it's going to be deployed, to be tested in those areas before deployment, so that these kind of um, the systems don't come to the world or <clears throat> uh, product launched uh, wherein with the um, bias it has. Absolutely, and Nandita, from your perspective too, and thinking about the human-centered design aspect and and other aspects, do you have any thoughts on this too on this topic? this question around tackling biases? Yeah, I think de-biasing is a huge effort. And uh, like, uh, like Indy mentioned, uh, the data set, you know, we need to have adopt processes and methods to actually uh, work on the gathering the data sets. It sometimes might be actually more difficult. So I think that's also kind of contributing to the whole issue here that getting training data, which is accommodating um, to a diverse population, as well as, um, you know, it kind of makes the models more fra fragmented, perhaps. So it's, it might be difficult to get this data set, but it might be very important um, to get narrow models to understand how we can train um, AI for um, representing these very um, core, diverse, inclusive groups. Yeah, absolutely. And that I don't know if you have any thoughts too around what else is needed to tackle bias and data sets and algorithms, but I'm also wondering, you know, kind of building off what Nandita was saying, do you see other limitations around eliminating bias? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think the first step to eliminating bias is to identify it and to quantify it, to assess it. And sometimes that's straightforward. Sometimes all it takes is plotting the statistical, the statistical distribution of uh, the AI model training data set and based on this analysis, identifying, being able to identify potential bias. Uh, but sometimes it's not that straightforward. So I think um, eliminating bias completely presumes that whatever assessment process we adopt is sufficiently robust to catch all non-compliant systems. And if that's not the case, that can be a limitation to eliminating bias. And I think that a lot of the standards bodies, in particular that European Commission that's seeking to prevent non-compliant market uh, non-compliant products from entering the EU market is grappling with some of these some of these limitations. Um, and then, of course, there can be unconscious bias, like we've talked about before. Um, and that is something that, that we're going to have to kind of figure out how to deal with as we go through this process as well. Absolutely. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. And speaking of solutions, one thing I wanted to circle back on, I know that a couple of you mentioned diverse diverse teams. And you know, that's something that we've seen a lot in our work as well as, you know, there is a huge, a large lack of diversity in AI, including those who are researching, designing, coding, engineering, and programming AI tech. One statistic in particular that pops out to me is in 2013, the share of women in computing dropped to 26%, which is below the level it was in 1960. So that's 60 years ago. And about half of women who go into tech eventually leave the field, which is more than double the percentage of men who depart. So, you know, some things that we found through our work in terms of why these reasons could be is, you know, structural issues or um, stereotypes that inhibit access to and growth in STEM fields for women, people of color, and sometimes workplace environments. But I'm curious to hear from you all how how might we advance diversity in technical teams in the automotive industry, knowing how critical this is to mitigating bias and um, also enhancing innovation? Uh, what can what might we be able to do, and how are you already seeing companies better incorporating equity and inclusion in the way they operate? Netta, perhaps you can start. Sure. So this is super important to Nvidia. Um, what we do um, is actually across different initiatives, but um, our GPU technology conference, for example, has been named by Forbes as a top conference for women to attend to further their careers in AI. And the number of women attending at this conference, and actually even more importantly, the number of of women speakers at the conference has doubled in recent years, which is great. Um, And we also have a Women in AI initiative, which includes invitation-only programs designed for those getting started in AI um, and Part of that program is also our NVIDIA Deep Learning Institute Fundamentals of Deep Learning for Computer Vision Workshop as well. So I think these have been really great in both attracting and keeping women in the AI field. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the reflection of NVIDIA is really one of those, a top conference and the, the uh, with for women and women speaking at the conference really reflects that and the different efforts that you have. So really exciting. Indu, would you like to share? Absolutely. And this is very, very important for me as a uh, as a woman in uh, autonomy, as well as for all the women who I've worked with. And uh, because of which we are women in autonomy exists today. And I, it's very important that we empower and equip our women um, today. And 
provide them a platform to come together. And that's what we are trying to do, wherein provide them a platform where they can come, discuss what the biases they face and how this could be handled through mentorship programs, wherein they discuss with um, uh, leaders of today, those, the very small number, 16 person that we have, to come up and um, discuss things, with, discuss uh, uh, with them the uh, how they could confront this differently and how this could be handled differently and have many workshops for these uh, women to work on hard and soft skills, as well as um, having newsletters where we have job opportunities, et cetera, provided to the women so that they know there are, there are avenues where they can go and uh, advance their career. We're also um, looking at um, more women to come and speak at technical events, um, have, providing them an opportunity uh, to come up and speak what they feel is required to be done. And when more and more of their voices are heard, um, the huge gap that remains, will that void, will get filled. And that's the hope that we have. And to bring them together is very important. And we should encourage um, women, as, women as a community to come forward and um, take part, take hold of their um, of the future and go forward uh, and work on it together. Yeah, just just reflecting off what you were saying, Indu. I mean, those those aspects are so important, and I think one thing from my side too, and just in what we've seen and and the research is the importance of role models, and you know, because stereotypes are a really huge issue that is impacting diversity in the field. You know, it, it is things like having role models like the three of you. Um, seeing women speaking in conferences, these mentorship angles, this, these networking opportunities, building those networking and uh, awareness of different opportunities is so important. So I really applaud all the work that uh, your organizations are doing and, and what you all are doing as well. So what recommendations might you give to listeners who are interested in mitigating bias and AI systems in their own organizations? Where might they start? Netta? Sure. So I think I think that um, communicating the fact that you know we share this concern about maintaining these unbiased ethical practices in AI, and holding teams around the world accountable to the highest possible standards of accountability and transparency and explainability is a good start. Um, and then sharing AI technology expertise with others to help them do the same. So one thing that we've done in the uh, self-driving cars area, we launched this series called NVIDIA Drive Labs about a year ago, where we actually talk through behind the scenes engineering technology of what people are seeing in the self-driving car video. Um, and so to take them, to give them that inside look and explain everything. Uh, we also host seminars at GTCs around the world to train other engineers to uphold these best practices. And we communicate to our developers that they need to consider potential algorithmic bias when they're choosing or creating a model um, and to make sure that they're using models under the conditions and in the manner that's intended as well. Amazing. Nandita, anything to share? Um, I think the one thing that uh, is a process that we could use is sometimes these, we are trying to understand extremely complex social stereotypes or complexities of relationships uh, when we represent a particular, um, I would say, not fully understood category of data set. And I see this as an exercise of trying to understand well, okay, how do elderly, how do women, how do uh, these different uh, groups, um, what are their characteristics and how do you understand a particular demographic or a particular profile um, is to really, you know, talk to them and interview them and qualitatively research them to understand what, what are the weights and priorities that would make sense. Um because it's, it would be unwise to just say that there's gender and age, but not really understand the intricacies um, that these groups bring with them, which are actually very complex and might not all be transmitted to coded values initially. So we should be aware of, um, well, what, is, what are the actual needs? What are the actual complexities uh, that are characteristics um, of these um, elder or gender groups? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. The last question that I have for is around, you know, we've been talking about bias in AI systems in the automotive industry 
But how might autonomous vehicles also create positive shifts in our society and actually perhaps impact other social norms and structural inequalities? So how might they actually perhaps mitigate biases and other um, negative or harmful norms in our society? And how might we make these more accessible to different communities and identities? Indu? Yeah, so this has been really interesting how you would see it. Uh, to be honest, how we see AI systems to work more towards, gear towards how you see many of the releases of self-driving for um, uh, like visibly challenged or senior citizens or those people who are vulnerable in the society. So for them, this is a huge advantage and having it available to them. And especially now in these situations uh, with the COVID-19 impact, it, uh, autonomous driving systems have become, I think, made, made itself more relevant to our society uh, wherein, where we need to, uh, where we need to help communities which are either far off or difficult to reach, where we, wherever we need them to be able to get the essentials. And I do see this going forward in a way that uh, it'll really have a big impact um, and enable us to do things which us humans sometimes uh, may not be able to do. Amazing. Meadow or Nandita? Would you like to share any any thoughts on that question or any other final thoughts? Um, I just uh, saw this research where um, they're studying pedestrians with wheelchairs um, and how they react while crossing uh, crosswalks, which I thought was very interesting because that's a good positive bend, right? Because um, if we're not generalizing all types of pedestrian foot traffic, we're understanding how the dynamics of a wheelchair uh, moves across crosswalk, which is an example of, uh, hey, yay, good vibe. Um, so I think the other, the last comment I would like to say is that um, while it's it feels good, it's a good thing that we should be doing, I would also like to add that um, in the past, innovation actually has been sparked from these looking at disability or outliers, right? So it's not like... Um, you know, there have been very uh, big examples of um, innovation from studying uh, disability or from or innovation by uh, disability groups. So it's it's actually of value, uh, even from an innovation perspective, to understand outliers, to understand um, narrow data sets uh, properly. Absolutely. Nada, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, so one thing I think that's interesting is uh, sharing the knowledge that we gather and collect in AI systems across different segments of society. So one thing that we do at NVIDIA, we actually engage and partner with governments, and we emphasize with them the importance of supporting positive use cases of AI while considering issues that are inherent in its development. And so uh, one thing we also do is contributing to research through partnerships on AI and uh, we participated in a study on algorithmic risk and assessment tools within the criminal justice system, actually, as part of this. So it's a way that this AI knowledge is translated to other areas of society as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. I really appreciate all of your insights. Yeah. Um, thank you all. Uh, this, this has been absolutely fantastic. I've, I've learned so much already, uh, from this. Um, my, my first question, um, is actually, and I, I don't want to put anyone on the spot, so feel free to, to not answer. And, and obviously, you know, if you need to be tactful about the the specific circumstances here, I totally, you know, we totally understand, but, um, as someone, you know, as a, as stereotypical straight white male who has not been on the wrong side of bias very much in my life, I was wondering if anybody um, was willing to share maybe a personal anecdote of how in their personal life um, they encountered bias, just to give folks, perhaps like myself, who, who you know, understand this stuff abstractly, but, but don't necessarily always understand what it looks like in real life, sort of what that looks like. Um, and, and maybe even um, out of that experience, sort of what did you learn about about how to deal with that, how to confront that, and, and how to make progress on that issue. And again, if, if no one wants to share a personal anecdote, that's totally fine. Like, I, I really don't want to put anyone on the spot. Um, I just thought if if someone had a, an anecdote they wanted to share, then then that'd be great. But if not, we can move on to other questions. Well, I can share all my anecdotes with you, Ed. So, 
So I would like to, um, uh, for example, if, for, for specifically looking at AI systems. So first, when um, uh, like the voice recognition systems, I don't want to take specific names here, but uh, the, many of them that came out actually initially wouldn't recognize my accent or my uh, the way of speaking, etc. So this is one example wherein uh, training or training of AI systems, if it's not uh, covering the entire data sets is an example where an Indian accent or like, uh, for example, that there are many other accents which it doesn't recognize, uh, it took a long time to get to reach to everyone's use, right? So that's only a very small segment of this uh, com uh, society could use it because of the way the data sets that were used for training all of the AI systems that would do, that would recognize voice and uh, interpret it and uh, provide us information. So that's an uh, example where you automatically see a bias uh, in our systems. Mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering, and, and this question is for everyone, but also Genevieve, I'm, I'm interested in sort of your perspective as well. Um, I don't want to oversimplify things, but I will for the purposes of sort of trying to create a baseline, which is if you were to step back and really look at the autonomous vehicle industry and sort of the related pieces of that, it's not just a company, you know, working on a robo taxi, for example, there, there are a lot of other um, subcategories there. What's the grade that you would give um, the industry as a whole in terms of really attacking this issue of un even unintentional biases in creation of AI algorithms? Are most companies aware and are actually making an effort? Or do you see resistance or just sort of lack of awareness or the need to do this? And Genevieve, I'm wondering once um, maybe um, Neda or Indu or Nadita uh, chime in here, um, how that might, um, how that is in, in other businesses. Uh, uh, maybe you can comment on that. Sure. Um, you know, I think that, you know, obviously bias in AI systems is something that companies are really recognizing as important to address for a variety of reasons, but it, you know, is a large risk for a company to have a system that is found to have bias in, in it. Um, and just as an example, you know, Microsoft listed in its report to shareholders that bias in AI was one of the larger risks that the company faces. Um, and so it, it is something that is important from that, uh, from a risk perspective and from a brand reputation perspective, um, you know, from, from a performance perspective, you know, companies don't want to be developing these AI systems that have bias in them and then have to, you know, to spend additional perhaps large amounts of resources to, to address that or to perhaps scrap that system. So it's definitely important to the industry as a whole. Um, in terms of, you know, I think that sometimes there are, um, you know, biases is we're seeing a lot of focus on different forms of kind of technical biases in particular. So thinking about, um, you know, whether a certain group was, was represented um, equitable or equally within a particular data set and are, you know, error rates similar for different demographics and things like that. Um, you know, sometimes biases can also come up in terms of um, that are more difficult to kind of tell from just like a technical perspective. They might be biases that are linked to, you know, historical inequities um, and different considerations. So, um, you know, even something like, um, the example that we provided before around, um, you know, women as seen more of the as kind of the atypical, and there's just um, a lack of data around women in healthcare, for example, because they've been seen more as the as the atypical. Um, so it really links to some of these like non technical aspects of bias. Um, I think there can be less focus on the kind of non technical aspects of of bias and how those. Can manifest in different industries, um, but overall, you know, this is a hugely important topic to different industries for sure, and, and including the automotive industry. 
Um, Netta, I, I know you, you talked a little bit about what NVIDIA is doing, but I'm wondering what's your industry perspective? Um, and I know that you don't know what every single company is doing, but you're certainly probably aware of, of the development of AI algorithms. What's your perspective on that? I mean, is there progress being made or is it being largely ignored? Right. So we partner with a lot of different companies. I think we've got about 400 different companies in our ecosystem um, for automotive and self-driving cars, uh, from startups to tier ones, OEMs, uh, universities, government entities. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of diversity there. I think um, depending on the particular entity, depending on their story, depending on their history, uh, you know, some are younger, newer, kind of born with AI attitude. They jump into things and, they, and they're more comfortable uh, with this. Others uh, have a, a lot more history, um, tend to be more conservative in some ways. Um, our goal has been to provide the tools, provide the education, provide the support, uh, and really demystify this whole thing and, and, and make it accessible for everybody uh, because it does bring a lot of benefit. So that's sort of been um, our take on the industry and, and sort of our understanding of where we can help. Mm -hmm. um, so, Ed, I'll let you jump in in a second. I just had one more question. I promise I'll let you go. Uh, I'm wondering, um, Netta, and then also I want to put this out to Indu and Nadita too. Do you, I want to dig in a little, a bit about the who is developing this because we talk a lot about having a more diverse team and diverse perspectives. Is it enough to have a diverse team? And when constructing a diverse team, what's the ideal? I mean, is it enough to have, all right, we're going to have more women developing these AI algorithms or peoples of color? I mean, what is, you know, is there an ideal? mix of people. Um, and what does that look like? So I think from the first principles perspective, the ideal for your data distribution, the ideal for the diversity that needs to be captured needs to reflect what is happening actually in the real world. Um, that applies to geographic diversity, that applies to uh, end user diversity, that applies to environmental weather diversity, you know, a lot of times people talk about corner cases. What if it's raining and then there's a tornado and then, uh, you know, various things happen. How, how would the car handle that? Well, the ideal is statistically representing that in a way that it actually recurs in the real world. And so we have these real world user profiles and statistics that we try to match. And I think as far as diversity goes, uh, the first principle holds up there as well. So that is the ideal. The real world is obviously very complex and we try to build for everybody. So um, it's not an easy question to answer, but I think ultimately that that's what it comes down to. We, we truly try to match what we see happening in the real world because that's where the product and product is going to have to work well in the end. Um, I just want to hand it over to Nandita or um, Indu to, to weigh in on my last question. Um, yeah, I think going same, same thought as Nada really that um, there's diversity and then there's diversity of thought. And I think personally, diversity of thought is more important uh, because, uh, but how do you get diversity of thought is through the understanding, the diversity of end users, their context, uh, special going out and trying to understand um, these diversity uh, thinking and diversity of experiences is something that uh, has to be more of a, not a passive, but more of an active strategy. So um, I want to wrap up on a somewhat practical note um, because so often bias is perpetuated by people who aren't really setting out to be biased. Um, as, as we've discussed a lot today, as you've, you've explained, you know, a lot of times bias is just, you just need to be aware of it. And um, for me personally, I know things in, for example, bias in media, you have um, something called like the Bechdel test, um, which is just a simple test of, you know, are there two women in a movie uh, talking about something other than a man? Um, just a very simple sort of heuristic test that can give you, it, it's not the definitive, you know, this is bias and this isn't, but it gives you a sense of maybe there's bias at play here. Um, for, especially for those, you know, who aren't as sensitive to the specific bias in question. I'm wondering, do you have tips, techniques, um, that can help people 
uh, who might not be, who might be unconsciously sort of ignoring or, or not seeing or not checking biases in their, in their work or workplace um, that they can use to, to sort of be better about that? Yeah, maybe I'll um, I'll jump in here. So I think that there are some best practices that that can be used. One is to provide documentation on the programming and training methodologies and the processes and the techniques used to build and test and validate these systems. Uh, and then including uh, where have relevant methods been applied to avoid bias. Um, and then also ensure that obviously, like we talked about during the entire panel. Uh, that the AI systems are trained on data sets that are representative and sufficiently broad. And this is really important because, like I mentioned, a lot of standardization activity is coming in this space. In addition to standardization activity that we already have in automotive in terms of ISO 26262 and functional safety and things like that. And that means in the future, these systems will be tested and validated for compliance against criteria like this. So it's a really, really important thing to, to really try to do as best we can Obviously, there's unconscious bias. We don't know everything right away, but to use the best practices we have right from the get-go because of the trends that we're seeing. Another thing, just to pipe in as well, you know, there are, you know, it's hard to, especially when there's kind of non-technical forms of bias, you know, it's hard to say, you know, like this is bias or this is is not bias. And in other industries, um, you know, part of it comes down to what is fair and defining fairness in a particular context. Um, but there's a couple different tools that can be helpful, things like data sheets for data sets, which can track metadata. So, you know, understanding kind of who's included in the data, what's included in the data, how it was collected, um, especially for if different data sets are used. Um, and then there's tools like fairness checklists that can be used up front to kind of ask questions around um, how the particular system is kind of conceptualizing fairness from the from the beginning, and that can be particularly useful for other industries where there might be you know, trade offs that exist. Um, so those are some different tools that can be used. I would like to add that um, first is to be aware there is uh, sorry about that. Um, be aware there is uh, these issues, and similar to this, many many bodies like uh, as Nita was mentioning, ISO 26262 doesn't cover AI based um, systems as of now on how those uh, the metrics that are defined what is the what is good or not. So they are working on providing new sort of standards or on those use cases where it might fail, figuring out where are the critical uh, cases and talking about it, uh, having people come together and discuss about it acknowledging that there is bias and then working from there. And that's, I think, the key to moving forward where we can reduce these biases in our systems, AI systems, and um, make a change from having a um, diverse group come together, discuss this, look at data, and uh, come up with uh, with metrics, with regulations, with requirements that will help our systems to be better. Great. Well, this is, like I said, just been absolutely fantastic. I really, I want to thank all of our, our guests um, for just a really amazing, um, educational, informative conversation about a really, really important topic. Um, my mind is already spinning with uh, specific aspects of this um, because there's so much here uh, to, d- to dive into that, that maybe we'll have to do some, some future shows about. So um, I certainly hope that um, we'll get a chance to uh, speak with you all again about this um, and continue to uh, to bring more attention to, uh, again, what is just such a super important issue. So um, thank you to all of our guests. Thank you, Genevieve Smith, for moderating. Thank you, uh, Neda Svietic, uh, Nandita Mangal, Indu uh, Vijayan. Uh, this, has been, this has been wonderful, um, and uh, we look forward to discussing these issues again on a future episode of The Atomic House. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.